All right, guys, special interview time here on Below the Belt Show with producer and actor extraordinaire, Griff First. Griff, uh, good to have you on a Below the Belt Show. Yeah, it's good to be here. I like it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, Below- we're interview I've had in a while, but I feel good about it. I'm a night guy anyways. I wish they were all at this time. Oh, you okay. Well, there you go. There you go. I'm glad you're a night owl, uh, myself included. So this uh, works out pretty well. And uh, like we were talking earlier, I was literally just finishing this amazing film called Devil's Peak, um, which uh, had a theater run, but it's now available for everyone to see on demand at your favorite streaming platforms, right? Yeah, that's right. Everywhere. Fantastic. And I got to say, audiences, please, please check out this film, whether it's Amazon, whether it's uh, Roku TV, all your favorite streaming platforms uh you can get it on demand um and i'm just i was so blown away by the movie so I blown away no, i can tell how genuine that was by watching your face watch the last three minutes of the movie <laughs> yeah and we try not to get too uh, spoiler territory on below the belt because we want people to see this movie so we're gonna try to uh do that as best as possible or maybe give it a disclaimer for maybe one or two things but uh tell us about your involvement as a producer what was your pretty much a producer can be uh, someone that wears many hats uh, when attached to a project, whether it's um, helping with the casting, where it's helping with the money aspect and the funding um, and, and everywhere in between. But can you tell us about what went into your role specifically for Devil's Peak? Yeah. I mean, the, the conversation of what a producer credit means is an interesting one because it's so different for like two people could have the same credit and, ha- and and have the most different experience and and contribution to the movie right. as possible like you're saying like some people are finance some people are creative um especially on independent movies you see a lot of different credits right, right. Uh, so that's why i like to use the pga uh, marker because it shows who you know who was there on set and who really helped with the picture on this one it's myself josh kesselman robin wright and the writer robert not um, so we were a team of four. We kind of split duties creatively. We were there every single day behind the monitor for every single shot uh, and just assisting the cast and the director to get their vision on camera. I I, uh, I do a little bit of everything. So I'm uh, I'm I'm the resource whose loyalty is purely for the production. That's that's kind of that's my position. I'm, I'm the ringleader of the circus uh, as a producer on these shows. And, and what a circus in an amazing way, uh, as far as your team is concerned. But let's talk about the cast, because an amazing cast you have assembled here. Billy Bob Thornton just blew me away with his performance. Just fantastic. And then Robin Wright in a, in a role that I haven't seen her portray before. Uh, yeah, this type no, of character, right? you know? And she just completely, I mean, she crushes that character. She's my yes. favorite performance, even though she you know, has... You know, five, six really, really real scenes that she's still sure. part of performances. I'm just such a huge, huge fan of her as a person and as an artist. I have to agree with, and I worked on House of Cards, and we shot in Maryland, uh, my hometown. And um, yeah, just, just seeing her go from uh, the character of uh, Kevin Spacey's character's wife, uh, and then president to to this particular role was just like completely opposite, you know? So literally do anything. I mean, she's, she's, how long she been, she's been doing this for a long time. And she's just, I mean, she's one of the best, um, best people I've ever worked with for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, how we can, we more, more amazing names, Jackie Earl Haley. 
Mm-hmm. Veteran actor, fantastic. You might remember him from Rorschach and uh, and Watchmen and uh, so many other great, great, great projects. Yeah, I mean, he won an Oscar, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oscar winner as well. Uh, yeah. So that that's amazing. And someone I actually interviewed, Caitlin Nacon, um, as a Walking Dead fan. It was good to to see her uh, part of the cast. You have uh, Emma Booth, who played Billy Bob's love interest. And, of course, last but not least, Hopper Penn, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Wright and Sean Penn's son. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal job by, by Hopper. I wasn't familiar with his acting work. And uh, I'm... He can he can hang with dad and he can hang with his mom, you know. I mean, the guy, yeah, he works he worked really really hard on this picture, and it's like yeah, he just he just really, from what I gather, he really started pursuing it, you know, just recently. It wasn't something yeah. that he back when he was a kid or anything like that, and he just recently really got hot about it and, and wanted to find a project that he felt was great for his, uh, great casting for him, and this was uh, this was the one. And of course, with uh, Robin, his his mother involved. Uh, like was that instrumental, I guess, and getting getting him involved? Did Robin kind of like? It was actually like, it was the other gosh, way around. Fun, so yeah. yeah, so our our manager Hopper and I, uh, really talented producer himself and a manager, his name is Josh Kesselman, and he represented, uh, it still represents Hopper. Um, and so we found this vehicle for Hopper, um, really without Billy Bob or Robin or anything in mind. And so that was kind of the first thing. We had this great book hired a great writer um, and he had one client that fit this, this role. And we were looking for something to package for him. And so he came on uh, and then, you know, Robin to play his mom, that was an easy, an easy call. And then Billy Bob, it was just, when we read the script, we, we realized this role is perfect for Billy. And it's so oh God. He, yeah. <laughs> like it's what he does yet. He hasn't done it in a while. And so we felt like it would be the material yes. be right for him and he'd be right from the material. And, and, it was, and we, that, that's what happened. It literally was the character was written for for Billy Bob. It was, and he rewrote a lot of his own dialogue. I mean, he's an Oscar-winning writer himself, and he knows this world very well. Mm-hmm. So he would get he's got a lot of speeches in the movie, right? And so he would dig into the script. He'd work late at night, kind of reworking some things, and he'd come back and show us and say, "Hey, what do you think?" We'd be like, "It's great. Let's do that." Wow, and it's it's all about this crazy dysfunctional family, the McNeelys in the Appalachians. And uh, Billy Bob is a meth dealer, I guess the kingpin of, of the meth uh, meth um, kingpin uh, ring, I guess. Yeah, region, I'd say he's the top of the food chain. He's the top of the food chain, right? And then you have a corrupt sheriff in uh, Jack Gerald Haley's character as well, which mm-hmm. you, let's just say we find out more about his corruptness towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Wow, so that <laughs> you already know who's a little shady. Uh, yeah, it's a messed uh, up place to live, which is why Hopper wants to get out of there. So it's <laughs> and you can understand the the reasoning behind that. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, wow, I just so this was adapted from a book. So the, the screenplay was adapted from the book from the book. Yes, a book called Where All Light Tends to Go, and the title of the picture was actually Where All Light Tends to Go until about a month before its release. And the distributor said, that sounds like a novel. We need to retitle it to sound like a movie. <laughs> and so they picked oh. Peak, yeah. Devil's Peak? Okay. What went behind the, the Devil's Peak change? You know, it's... Other uh, being long, like, like semantics-wise. Well, it, it was it was being long is what started the discussion. And then actually, the they said they needed to change the title. We really fought to keep the name of the book. Um, yeah. But when we realized we weren't going to win that fight, the director came up 
with a whole bunch of names. Uh, a lot of them kind of had a similar vibe to where All Light tends to go, and they wanted something that was a little more concise. Um, and so the director throughout Devil's Peak, I mean, Charlie has several mentions in the film of how the devil's got a hold of him. Um, he's just a bad dude. Mm. Uh, and there's actually a there's an old folklore tale from like the 1600 that talks about Devil's Peak, which has some similar. It's it's a story and metaphor. It has some. It's about a guy who's always smoking his pipe at the base of this mountain, and he smoked the pipe so much that he he basically created this cloud that made the the whole town in in inhabitable. Um, so <laughs> it felt like kind of a good metaphor for this movie too. I think it works perfectly. And you did you actually shoot in the Appalachian area? We did. We shot at the very. We shot in North Georgia, which is right at the very end of the Appalachian Mountains, where they where they teeter off there. Nice. You're actually shooting at the actual place where you're saying you're shooting. Yeah. So many places go elsewhere. They go to Canada and say it's the Appalachian. It rarely <laughs> happens. I mean, the 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 writer who was also producer Robert Knott, a very talented yeah. guy. He really wanted to the the book and the screenplay was based in Silva, North Carolina, and he really wanted to shoot there and. We even drove up there at one point to go scouting because it was only two hours from where we were from. Um, but we just we couldn't shoot there. It didn't make it didn't make sense because we shot in Georgia where there's a you know big big film industry there. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The the hot the hotbed. That's a the the Hollywood of the South. I mean, yeah. Georgia we had to go into where the crew was and everything else. But uh, Silva and actually you know where they shot in Silva is they shot three billboards outside Missouri. They actually shot in Silva, which is where this book was set. Wow, there you go. Yeah. That could be like a parallel universe. Yeah, <laughs> so three, the three billboards and um wow. So um geez, I just I'm still blown away by like the ending of the film. So that's why I I, I specifically urge our listeners and, and 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 just just to please go to see this film because there's the, there's a lot of like jaw dropping what the F moments and uh and that those final few minutes were just I just couldn't believe what happened. Um, and, and again, I think a lot of the focus, uh, not only Billy Bob's character, which you know he does some very despicable, horrible things, but also the sheriff and Jackie Earl Haley, um, which uh, you know it, it just uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those it's one of those you know you didn't expect it, but you had you know you had. Some inclination that something crazy is about to happen, and you, yeah. guys, you guys delivered. With the with the ending, you always want to go for unpredictable but inevitable, right? So that's that's what I hope. That's how I hope it lands. Yeah, very very, <laughs> very yeah. very good. Wow. Um, tell us about uh, the 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 challenges to to that you faced on set, um, if 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 any really, um, and um, and of course getting into the distribution. Yeah, and there's there's always challenges on on set. I just finished watching a show called The Offer. Have you heard of this show? It's I have, about yeah. The Godfather and God the Godfather, a yeah. Experience watching the show because it's about the producer. The producer is the main character um, producing yeah. The Godfather, and he's dealing with everything from the mob to to the the crew striking to you know interpersonal disagreements, and it's like that on every show really but you try to um intuit or perceive what those problems are and, and kind of cut them off the head so they don't become big problems and they're little problems um so there, there's there's always the just the challenges of filmmaking and especially when you're trying to do a picture with large stars and big scale in a short amount of time right? we shot this movie in 24 days um that I is short for a feature yeah 
Yeah, everybody would have loved to have 40 days, right? But it's just like uh, you, you have to work with what you're given. And we were given enough to shoot the picture for 24 days. So that's time. It's like it's that's always the biggest challenge. It's And it's the, the most rare commodity when you're trying to shoot a feature because you always want another take. You always want to um, take the time to move to a different location instead of cheating it. Uh, you know, I think in this movie we cheated the bathroom in one of the houses at a different house because we couldn't make the schedule work with a, another house. So the, the, any challenges we had really stemmed from schedule and budget, which I find pretty commensurate with all kind of independent film. It's like you have to figure out how to how to make a the the picture that you have in your mind, um, which is a 40 day picture in 24 days. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you guys accomplished that, and uh, yes, on an indie level with A-list caliber talent. Yeah, I can imagine. And if, if David Fincher was the director, you guys would probably be <laughs> be there for another month. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's really I, easy to you start worrying about halfway through that you're going to end up with a short film in the can, right? It's like the right. the saying is "Gone with the wind before lunch, Duke's a hazard after lunch" because it's like you're, yeah. you're making the movie you want to make before lunch, and then you're like, "Shit, we're only you know a quarter of the way through the day on the schedule, but time-wise, we're halfway through, so we gotta we gotta pick up the pace." Yeah, no doubt. So. I was also curious on your thoughts because of independent film and, and, and gun use, of course. And, of course, we know about that tragic um, tragic incident on the Rust set. Uh, what what measures did you guys go through to ensure that the, the guns used uh, during the film were were safe and, 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 you know, were no threat to any of the cast and crew? So we, we had a policy. Um, this We were in pre-production when the Rust incident happened. And uh, we were going to do blank guns prior to that, but we made a decision right after that. We held a meeting about it. There would be no live fire on set, no live rounds, and no guns that were even capable of firing, which is really, and the director was completely behind that. And I think the entire industry is as a whole, because with how good CGI is anymore, it's pretty it's pretty silly to use live rounds these days. Um, Absolutely, yes. You know, it's like the, yeah. the argument in the 90s in the 2000s was it's like oh but you can feel it and you get the recoil and all that stuff but it's not it's just not worth it um so since that happened we haven't used any live ammo on set nor have we even used a weapon that's capable of firing it and what was tough is because the this we made this decision in pre-production is the director is very specific about the firearms that he wanted to use and the props guy had tracked down with an armor um these very specific guns that he wanted to have and then when we decided not to do that, which again, the director was completely all about, he was trying to find replicas of them, guns that were plugged, could not find them. So we had to go back through that whole process and pick new guns for all the leads. And ultimately it was happy, but it was a, it was a whole job on its, in and of itself too, because you still want the, the guns that you want. You want the authenticity, you want the cool weapons, but uh, yeah, my, my thoughts are in moving forward, you just don't, you don't do it under any circumstances because it's just completely not necessary. And thinking about the films I did, in the 90s and in the 2000s. I mean, I can think of several incidents where I felt the first AD and the armor were not handling the weapons properly. And as an actor, you have to take mm -hmm. care of yourself and make sure it's safe. And that's right. fine, but still, it's just not worth it when CGI is advanced so much. There's no need to, to bring that, to bring yet another. It's already dangerous to be on set, right? It's like, it's, you, right. Don't need, you don't need to bring another I'm thing into it. Why why increase the risk when you know you spend a little bit more money for CGI and you lessen the risk though? 
significantly, yeah, right? It's muzzle flash, it's some smoke out of the barrel, some slide action. It's like it's not even that expensive, and it's well, it's well worth it. Obviously, obviously, yeah. yeah. And wow, again, fantastic performance by by everyone in the cast. Just completely blew me away. And again, going back to Hopper Penn, I, I read a recent interview that he did not want to be called a nepo baby because. I remember seeing uh, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, SAG Award speech saying, "Yes, I am a Nepo baby, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm here because of my dad." But no, you, Hopper Penn was quite the opposite, saying, "Yeah, no. look, I, don't, I don't blame him. My father uh, was a pretty famous actor at one oh, point. Oh yeah, and so That's... it's like you almost, especially like if your dad's Sean Penn, your mom's Robin Wright is different. My dad was famous, but he wasn't famous enough for it to mm. matter. But he was famous enough for people to have their um, to to have their concerns that I might be doing what I'm doing because my Let's connection. Give a shout out though to Stephen First, flounder yeah. from National Lampoon's Animal House. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my pop. So it's like in in a way when you are a nepo baby, you have to work harder because people scrutinize what you're doing because they might assume that you're there um, because of who your parents may be. Which there's it's not that there's no truth to that. It's like the whole reason I'm doing this because I grew up around it and I know how to do it. But right. I also, you know, work from 6 a.m. till midnight every night on screenplays on just my craft in general. It's like it's you, you don't get to to do what we do um, if you don't put in the work, That no matter who your parents are. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about some other cool projects, Griff, uh, uh, that you got going on. Um, the Half-Baked sequel, Half-Baked 2. Uh, what can we expect uh, from this upcoming sequel from the 1998 cult classic? <laughs> Dude, I'm so stoked about this movie. Uh, I was a huge fan. of the, It came out when I was a senior in high school. Probably mm-hmm. saw the theater like three or four times. Um, so I was, <laughs> I was just so psyched to get this movie offered to me from Universal because it was just like, it was, it was exactly <laughs> what I wanted to. If I could make a sequel to anything, it would probably be Animal House. But this would be a close second. I was kind of going to ask about that one too, but yeah, let's the universe won't let me do that. I already tried. Um, they won't touch <laughs> that property. Um, but this one's—I mean, we—we we, uh, our director Mike Titus. Uh, he's directed a bunch of the Marlon Wayans movies on Netflix. One of the most talented people I've ever worked with. I mean, this guy works hard harder than anyone I know besides myself. Um, he's just so good. And our casting director Wendy O'Brien, she just won the, the Emmy for best comedy ensemble mm-hmm. she came through like my favorite cast i've ever had it's a big cast it's an ensemble cast and her recommendations were just spot on like dexter darden is our mm-hmm. lead he plays spoiler he plays uh chappelle's son in the in the show and this kid he's the lead in the the saved by the bell reboot on peacock yes uh, dude is so talented he's like one of my favorite people i think he's gonna be a huge star then she turned us on to this guy named moses storm who's a stand-up comedian. Uh, he has a special on uh, HBO called White Trash. One of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Um, he just, he plays kind of like the Jim Brewer character from the first one, and he does not disappoint. Like, this dude had me rolling nonstop. And then, of course, <laughs> you got Jeff Ross and Harlan Williams and, like, these legendary stand-up comedians, too. Yeah, it's Jeff Ross, really the roast mast. Uh, it's going to be great. And where, when can we expect this one to be released? And will it be on a streaming platform or in theaters? Damn good question. I don't know. We finished okay. it. I've seen the movie. It's as good as I was hoping it would be. It's great. We're working on some visual effects and stuff. There's rumors that it might be coming out 420 of this year. 
but I've also heard uh, it's, perfect, also heard it's not coming out until 2024. <laughs> then I heard it was a summer movie. I've heard that it's going to be on Peacock. Then I heard it was actually going to be on Netflix. And so, okay, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't handle the distribution. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. I just produce the movie and then they tell me they, I have no input on the distribution. They're going to let me know what happens. Okay. Yeah. We're excited. Now, did you reach out to Dave Chappelle? To... I did. Yeah. Uh, curious yeah. on his thoughts. Well, I didn't get his thoughts. Um, his, I'm pretty tight with his agency, and we were inviting all the original cast back. Rachel yeah. True is is written into the sequel. Rachel True, yeah, I saw that. Yep. She's great, and she wanted to do the movie. That was good. Same with Harlan Williams. Um, the writer didn't initially put Chappelle in there, but the director and I had a great cameo scene idea for him. Um, and so I reached out to his agent, and he 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 was basically like you'd have to throw a lot of money at him to do that because mm. he's gonna do whatever he wants as he should he's you know he's the goat of stand-up mm. comedians exactly uh, and so i i uh i went back to the studio to see exactly how much money we could throw out <laughs> to him. and long story short it wasn't enough and mm. it, we didn't even take the next step because i knew it wasn't enough and it was only really one scene although it would have been a great scene i know but oh man things go the challenges for like creating that story moment and then having mm -hmm. to think of something else actually worked out really well because i think the moment that was originally written for him as we mm -hmm. rethought it when we didn't think we could afford to bring him back uh it's a pretty pretty great moment okay yeah uh, i think one person you didn't mention um frankie moon is yeah yeah so he's yeah. gonna be uh so that, that's gonna be in a cameo type of role uh, I mean, he's a pretty big role. Pretty big role. Okay, very nice. Yeah. Also, Joel Courtney, who. Joel uh, Courtney, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's. A, I keep. Now that I've worked with him, um, like I knew of him already because he did those. Uh, those really popular like romance rom com movies. I forget the name of them. Um, I knew him from those, and I knew he was kind of blown up as an actor. But ever since I worked with him, I've seen everything. He was in uh, Sick. A Netflix movie that's really good, um, and then he just popped up. He's the he's the lead in the movie that's like number two or three at the box office right now. It's called The Jesus Problem or something. Oh, like The Jesus that. Problem. Yeah, Isn't that's it right. The Jesus Problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a Jesus. Yeah. Is it a Christian movie? Yeah, it's, it's a Christian. Movie. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Like I was looking. It's, it's it a faith-based movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so it's strange. It made a ton of money, and I was looking at the artwork, and I couldn't tell if it was like a college comedy with a, just a weird name, or if it was a right film or what but he really wanted to do half baked which couldn't be more different so <laughs> <laughs> there you go um that's awesome um you got another really cool project called 57 seconds with the legendary morgan freeman and josh hutchinson can you do a morgan freeman impression i don't think i can no i don't think i can do a morgan <laughs> how about you can you do one no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I have to practice on that one. And he's he's his voice is interesting because you think it's going to be big and booming like the sound of God. I, this is the second movie I did with him, and the first one I did with him, I was yeah. super surprised because he speaks so low, but it sounds obviously exactly so like Morgan. Right. It's just like his the tone of his voice, the resonance hits the microphone in like a magical way. Because even when we play it back in the editing room, it's just like his voice booms compared to everybody else who's actually talking louder than him. So he's got some kind of magic going on. Then, wow. I mean, I read the synopsis that 
basically you go back 50 sec 57 seconds in time 57 seconds in time yeah okay and it's it's based on a short story okay uh, by a British author named E.C. Tubbs. The short story was actually republished and Stephen King published a novel called, uh, and it was like the 20 best science fiction stories of all time or something like that. And this was one of the stories that he selected. It's like a 50 page short story. And it was 57 seconds in the short story. They never say a reason why it's 57 seconds, but it is. Mm-hmm. And um, Josh finds this ring, which gives him the ability to do that. And he, he quickly uses it to kind of find his way into the upper echelon of society. Um, but then as quick as he got there, it starts causing problems in his life and leads to a downward spiral. And there's a question of him coming into the possession of the ring. If it was, uh, if there's forces beyond him that gave that ring to him, cause he thinks he, he thinks, and we, we know he just finds it cause we see him find it, but why does he find it? It's kind of the question. It's a really cool sci-fi romp. Cool concept. If you yeah. could turn back 57 seconds of something you've done in the past, what would you choose? <laughs> we had a lot of those conversations when we were writing the script. <laughs> Pretty much like every Tuesday, we'd hop on a call for an hour and be like, what What would you do with this thing? You go to the casino. Yeah, for sure. You go to the casino. Um, go to the casino, right? It's, you do a lot of things. on black, and then you go to red. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do a ton of stuff. You'd probably right. die a few times in the process, but as long as you can touch the ring before you take your last breath, you're good. Yeah. Wow. Talk about like cheating life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure uh, some of the characters in Devil's Peak could have uh, benefited from a 57 second ring, right? Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. That would be a, you know, if both these movies are a smash. Maybe we'll do a mashup. Dude, that sounds pretty dark. So different in tone. So that would be really weird. <laughs> like totally, they couldn't be more different. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now you got. Um, Daniel Deadweiler from Till in a film you're doing called It's Time. What can you tell us about that project? You know, It's Time, I acted in, and I was on that set for a long time. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what's going on with that movie. Honestly, they called okay. me up, they cast me in a cool role. I'm always with the same cats, and I was there forever. There was, I mean, that movie, I, I can't even tell you what's up with that movie, because we shot like half of it, and then we went away for uh-huh. like, six months and they call me back and they're like hey we're reshooting the movie and i show up and the assistant director is now directing the picture i don't know what happened to the original director like <laughs> i'm not producing that movie i'm just acting in it but it's acting like, this oh, that was a really cool story about college football and one of the players who had died kind of similar to demar uh, hamilton um it was a very mm. similar situation that happened in college and it was a it was a great script it is a great script. I just have, I think it was an ESPN film. I just don't know what the hell's going on with that. It was such a weird thing in production with shutting down and coming back. And then I haven't yeah. heard that picture, but I hope it comes out. It's a good story worth worth being told. Yeah. And of course, uh, you got Daniel uh, Deadweiler, who's, I believe she's nominated for an Oscar, right? For, for yeah, yeah. So yeah. Maybe, maybe that will inspire them to finish post production. That was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking like 20, yeah. 2019, maybe we shot that. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that, that yeah, if I was a betting person in, in in the studios, I would totally, totally do that. And our guest from a couple of weeks back was um, Paul Sadu, and uh, you also uh, portrayed a character named Trip in that one? Yeah, yeah. I've done yeah. A, couple, a couple movies with Paul. We've had fun with yeah. that one in Mexico. I got sick from drinking the water. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I played a cokehead, and, they, and I sniffed probably a pound of powdered milk. 
Uh, <laughs> is that what they do in the movies? Powder yeah, belly. I really did a number on my sinuses, but I, I love <laughs> Paul too. Um, I've done a couple of Paul. Paul. Paul's a great, a great dude. Another movie that I haven't seen yet because it's still in post-production, but I can't wait. Post-production, yeah. And then Deep Stage is that I'm reading here is uh, on yeah. IMDb is the other one. Yeah, Deep Stage is a racing movie. Yeah. Man, I'm totally impressed how you are able to bounce in front of the camera and and behind the scenes as a producer. Um, have you developed a love for one more than the other yet? Man, I I love I love acting. That's you know that's that's my first love, and it's uh, I love how purely creative it is it's like you can really uh, i literally turn my phone off when i'm working which i don't do as a producer obviously i carry two phones on me but it's like i love turning my idea. phone off and just being that character for the week for the month whatever it is and just doing the thing but at the same time when i'm approaching a script as a producer or a director or whatever it is my process is really the same it's like i read the script 10 times it's really just a it's really just the information that I'm trying to gather from it. It's like, as an actor, I read the script 10 times to very keenly focused on that one character to figure out everything about him. Whereas as a producer, it's more about the, the big, the bigger picture, the puzzle of everything. It's like all these different Mm -hmm. pieces and trying to figure out any problems that could arise so we can cut them off ahead of time or just start prepping things. They're going to take time. It's like, start identifying what's going to take 12 weeks to create. We have to build a set like we did for half baked. We had to build these massive sets. And it's like, we had to start doing that before even pre-production. And as an actor, you don't have to worry about that, which is really great to not have to worry about any of that stuff and just showing up to see what people have been working on for a year already. And you just show up and you do your thing. Um, but there's something nice about, you know, being involved in the whole process for the year leading up to it too. I like yeah. them both. And also reading here, your directorial debut was in the horror feature 30 Days to Die. I do love I, horror, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, lately, you, you haven't done any directing lately? Is that something that, that you'd like to revisit? Yeah, and I, and I will revisit it, actually. Uh, yeah. Somebody, there, was a, there was a movie called The Breed with Michelle Rodriguez. And um, one of the distributors who bought a bunch of the movies I directed uh, – uh in like the 2010s called me and asked me to direct that and and i am ready to uh to hop back in the chair there i'm looking forward to it i I love directing as well it's just it's really a supply and demand thing it's like there's a shortage it seems of good producers and so my phone is ringing nonstop with people asking me to help them produce the project um and i love making great scripts and the really good ones seem to be producing gigs recently and i'll hop in anywhere where I'm needed to tell a story that I like. Um, but I will be getting back in the chair soon. I think the last thing I did was in like 2018, probably. So a while okay. ago. A while ago now, but I, I do miss it and I'll be back. Yeah, man. man so, so many talents, Griffin, that I'm seeing. Uh, and just look at your IMDb. It's pretty awesome. Now, is there a dream project left for you to produce or direct or act in? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's and what a, would that be? Would it be an uh, Animal House sequel? <laughs> yeah, well, be, I mean, I love doing comedies. I just I haven't done yeah. a ton of them because my early work uh, tended to be the opportunities that came easy were genre. And it's right. amazing how when you do something and you do it well, everybody wants you to do that. Um, so I have a lot of sci-fi, a lot of horror. And I love those genres. Don't get me wrong. But comedy, I love, too. And I just recently, without fakes, produced my first comedy. So I'm hoping there's more of that. But, yeah, I mean, in my mind, the 
the the dream projects and the cinematic masterpieces uh, are just beginning right now. So there's there's a there's a novel that I'm working on optioning that's like it's every it's everything to me. It's like uh, it's called American War um, by an author okay. named Omar El Akkad. It's about the second American Civil War. It takes place in 2775 near future. Um, it's a very dark political. Oh wow. Um, based on the best-selling novel, one of the best novels I've ever read. Um, and so I have that project. And then I have another one with Carl Urban that we're shooting this summer in Columbia, which I also feel very strongly about. Um, so yeah, there's a, each one gets a little bigger budget and, uh, mm -hmm. which usually means that you can spend more time honing the script, more time shooting the picture. Uh, so I have a lot of, a lot of big plans in store. That's for sure. That sounds amazing. That second world war, what, what, what timeline would it be? 2075. In 2075. The novel takes place. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. what would the dispute between the so, the sides be for that one? Well, it's it's still the north and south. Still north uh, south. Okay. It's still the north and south, uh, but it's a war movie, which I love war movies. It's one of my favorite genres. Um, but it's more of a character study. Uh, a lead girl is named Surratt. Uh, we see her from when she's six years old uh, until, well, I won't spoil the ending. Um, <laughs> so we, we follow her for a good portion of her life, but it's really a character study about her. There's not a lot of warfare that's going on. That's more of the backdrop, the world building, and like the setting behind it is this whole world is broken out. It's not political in the sense where it has a point of view pitting one ideology against the other. It's more of showing how certain people become the way that they are based on their upbringing. Wow. That is something I, I, I think will just do tremendously well. Uh, that, that concept is, wow. So, I mean, uh, a little bit of I've been, a little influence of hunters. I think of hunters on Amazon. Um, oh, I haven't seen hunters. I need to check yeah, that out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good one. If, if Nazis were, were, still in contemporary times oh is that what that is i didn't yeah. okay cool yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up <laughs> nice. al pacino yeah it's good stuff the second okay. season just dropped but uh wow this has been a tremendous uh griff thank you so much for talking to us here on below the belt show um shout out to charles sherman of course who uh set this up for us uh who uh, set up also Paul Sadu uh, for a couple of weeks, which is awesome. Your your, your buddy and colleague um, in two films that you guys are doing. Um, so before we end the, uh, the interview, if you could let us know who you are, uh, throw out a plug for your upcoming films and Devil's Peak, and let us know you're on Below the Belt show. Okay, so you want me to do like a little uh, like a little, a little station, uh, a little promo, yeah. So, okay, tell me tell me what give me give me tell me what to say because it's late. Sure, yeah. I, I'm Griff first. You may know me from this and that. You might have seen me th produce this and that. And make sure you check out Devil's Peak. And then maybe a catchphrase or whatever at the end. Okay, cool. This is Griff first on Below the Belt. I'm an actor in Magnificent Seven. You've probably seen me in Banshee. And I just produced Devil's Peak, which is out now on Amazon Prime and Roku. So check that out. Nice. <laughs> that's dope yeah banshee another great show by the way fantastic work on that us happy enough to do some background work on that one uh, uh, i love banshee man. it's a good one yeah banshee's a, a fantastic for sure fantastic show yeah um, you know there's and, this uh, uh 
there's this whole uh like i love like this uh like uh like ska reggae kind of sublimish uh genre there's so many cool bands doing that out of maryland i'm always like because nobody really does that except sublime and then like these 10 bands that are in maryland i don't know what happened in maryland but all the good yeah kind of niche you're right ballyhoo is one of them i think that that there's yeah there's uh there's so many of them that are from Maryland. It's like, what happened yeah. in Maryland where they just love this genre of music? But that's cool. You're right. Yeah, the <laughs> Sublime Room and yeah, the Valley Who. It it, it's a good genre. Yeah. It's a good genre, no doubt. Wow. And of course, Magnificent Seven. My God. Surreal, man. That, that's, that must have been a career highlight for you. Oh, this is fun. This is a fun show. I mean, it, it went on forever. Like, that was like the show yeah. that never ended. Like, they they called me. I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And like three months later, I'm like, all right, I guess I guess I live in this Western village now because they're never going right. to they're never going to cut me loose. Yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. Wow, Griff. Thanks so much, man. Um, audiences, please check out Devil's Peak on all your favorite streaming platforms uh, and still in theaters and some. It is. Some yeah, theaters, right? By my house in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, Griff, thank you so much for joining us here on Below the Belt Show. Great interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you soon. Yeah, take care.